0: Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. We call this podcast Drilling Deep because not only do we drill deep into an issue of the day, but we also talk about oil and diesel. And as you know, you need to drill for oil and you, need to, and you need oil to make diesel. It's a quick jump from there to the title of the podcast. We'll have our guest of the week on in a few minutes. Desiree Wood has been an evangelist for a lot of things over the years, but parking is her current passion. She's going to join us to talk about her views about this vexing problem, sharing some observations on how it might get fixed. We're not going to talk about diesel or oil per se this week. Rather, we'll talk about something that diesel trucks need, diesel exhaust fluid, known as DEF. It's a product that is used to treat diesel exhaust and is essentially part of the entire catalytic converter system that results in trucks today being a lot cleaner than they were years ago. The price of DEF and the price of diesel have no obvious reason to be linked. Maybe there's kind of a general macroeconomic model where strong demand for diesel would inevitably lead to more demand for DEF, and that means the price of DEF would go up and the price of diesel would go up. But that's kind of a broad link. It isn't like linking the price of gasoline and diesel, which are both in a lengthy supply chain, a lengthy oil refining supply chain with parts that directly impact each other. No, DEF is made from urea urea is a fertilizer product. DEF is basically urea and treated water, and it gets sprayed into the stream of exhaust, cleaning it up in the process. And here's why I say, well, maybe there is a link between DEF and diesel, at least right now. Because just like I have talked about in recent weeks, the price of natural gas is affecting the price of DEF just as it has affected the price of diesel. Diesel has been affected by soaring natural gas prices around the globe, actually less in the U.S. and other parts of the world, because sometimes what aren't normal natural gas uses will turn to diesel instead if the natural gas price gets too high. We've talked about that. Natural gas is absolutely vital to make most fertilizers, including urea. In fact, there are concerns in the agricultural community that so many fertilizer plants went offline or cut back in recent months because of the high price of natural gas that the world may be setting itself up for tight supply of fertilizers next growing season. The term food crisis has been been thrown around more than once. The link between natural gas and the price of urea is obvious then. If natural gas is needed to make urea and natural gas prices are soaring, urea will go up too. The impact of that can become even more acute if some fertilizer plants shut down because of the high price of natural gas. In the case of urea, it has been hit by other factors. The Texas deep freeze last February shut some plants. Hurricane Ida hit the Gulf Coast and led to cutbacks there, too. Possibly because of the high price of natural gas, some urea plants went through their normal summer maintenance shutdowns and extended them a little longer than they would have otherwise. The result has been a soaring price of urea and a soaring price of DEF right alongside it. Urea is priced in terms of dollars per metric ton. According to the good folks at Argus Media, who provided me with these numbers, Urea in the Gulf Coast opened 2021 at a little more than $300 per metric ton. It was $430 by mid-year. At the end of November, it had broken past $800. And more recently, though, it it pulled back slightly. And no surprise, DEF went up with it. Argus assesses free market prices for DEF as opposed to the pump price, uh, the retail price. When 2021 began, the Argus DEF Weekly assessed bulk quantities of the product at $0.60 5 per gallon. By the first weekly assessment of the second half of 2021, the price had risen to 91 cents per gallon. After remaining relatively steady for most of the third quarter, it's been off to the races in the fourth quarter of 2021. That weekly August assessment climbed quickly to $1. nine, got as high as $1.38 per gallon for most of November. And in its most recent publication, it has skyrocketed up to $1.59 per gallon. That has, been re- that has resulted in pump prices moving up to about $3.60 to 370 dollars per gallon, Unfortunately, I was not able to find any solid retail history even for this year, so I don't know what retail DEF was at the start of the year, but obviously it's going to be a lot higher than it was earlier in the year. For every 100 gallon of diesel fuel in a truck, a truck might use three to four gallons of DEF. So this is not an enormous cost burden in that kind of comparison, but increases in its price don't get helped by any kind of fuel surcharge like diesel does. So truckers are going to be on the hook for the whole thing. That is then a significant cost. It's just a reminder to trucking people who are exposed to the price of diesel or things like DEF, that a lot of simplistic nonsense about price increases being the fault of a particular politician should be ignored. The supply chain for products and the energy side of the supply chain are subject to the same sort of complexities and interrelationships that the supply chain for trains, boats, and planes are. Take a few extra moments to learn about the interconnectedness of it all. And we're going to switch here now on Drilling Deep, as we always do at this time. We've got a special guest with us this week on Drilling Deep. It's always great to hear from somebody who is actually out on the road. And our guest this week is Desiree Wood. She's an independent owner-operator with more than a million safe miles. She is the founder and president of the Real Women in Trucking uh, driver organization. And uh, she does a lot of public speaking. And recently, she came to my attention because she's doing a lot of speaking on the issue of parking. So. Desiree, welcome to Drilling Deep.
1: Well, hi. Thank you for inviting me.
0: That's good. So you're in Las Vegas, as we're speaking. You, know, you go back and forth between Las Vegas and uh, Las Vegas and Florida. Uh, what have you been doing a lot recently in terms of your driving?
1: I haven't actually been able to drive since this summer when I was consulting on a movie. And um, I had thought about trying to get back to driving, but now there's no trucks available oh wow um, okay uh, yeah I, I actually went to go look for trucks, and they said they got a back order till twenty twenty three so um I'm not able to go on the road right in february i'll revisit it and may work for another uh friend of mine who's an owner operator that has a empty truck
0: right well, somebody like you will always be in in demand that's no doubt about that so uh but so recently, since you haven 't been driving, you've turned your attention a lot to being kind of a uh Uh, The oracle of parking and the issues of parking. I know you've done a lot of presentations, a lot of speaking. Everybody knows about the parking problem. Well, let's talk a little bit about how you kind of came to this, where you went out and became such a kind of acolyte on this issue to try to get the message across to people other than those immediately in the trucking business.
1: Well, yeah. Uh, So I was real active in social media, and when I started in the industry in 2008, I got on Twitter and within a few months i was um contacted by dan rather producers and that led to uh, many other journalists and filmmakers scholars contacting me over the years uh to comment on trucking and some of the topics were things that were really Things I was experiencing firsthand, but I didn't know that they were a national crisis and had been for a long time. And one of those things was the murder of Jason Rivenberg in 2009. And I kept being contacted saying, what do you think about this and the truck parking? And I didn't know. And that led me to become friends with Hope Rivenberg, his his widow, after his murder. And she was such an inspiration Um, she mobilized a movement that a lot of drivers today and people in the industry are not aware that here is a young woman who's pregnant with twins and has a two-year-old whose husband is murdered when he went down the street to park at an abandoned gas station for seven dollars that was on his dashboard and she gave birth to the twins 14 days later, and immediately with her and her family started a movement to raise awareness of the truck parking issue. And in government, Light Speed actually turned a little petition drive into a bill that now is a law in the transportation bill.
0: And it's called Jason's Law.
1: It's called Jason's Law, but, but the industry has done a very bad job of educating the drivers, the MPOs, and state-level communities that truck parking is already an eligible activity for funding. And because of Jason's Law, we have freight plans that require truck parking to be included so we we have tools to work with but nobody's told the drivers they keep spreading this narrative of boohooing that we don't have money for truck parking when we actually do but we have to sell it and that's kind of where I'm at right now is trying to get others to help me because, I'm just one person. And like I just explained, it's pretty hard for me to just take off work whenever I want, fly around every state and community meeting they're having about all this money that's coming into the infrastructure, um, state plans. You have to go now and you have to advocate for our industry just like the people that go and advocate for rails to trails and all this other stuff. Unfortunately, it's not set aside funding, but it's funding. So that's kind of the big part right now. And I like people to know the history about what Hope did, because this is a woman who literally had her husband murdered, gave birth to twins 14 days later, had a two-year-old, mobilized a me- movement, was going to co- county fairs, getting petitions, called all the big organizations in our industry. They told her, sorry about your husband. Good luck with that. But then she got it done. And then they all wanted their picture taken with her. Right. Now we have these tools and it's up to us to carry the ball forward. All
0: right, so you've been dealing with the parking issue for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you
0: see where it significantly got worse from the perspective of drivers with the ELD mandate? Is it almost like, was there almost like an on-off switch? Obviously, the, uh, what happened to Jason shows that there was a problem a long time ago, but the conventional view is that this became a lot worse because the ELDs were so inflexible. Is it your view that that is the case or is that maybe a little bit overstated?
1: I, I think it's a little bit overstated. And, you know, when I drive across the country, I just went on a cross-country trip and there are truck stops, big truck stops and truck parking areas, places I never saw them before, before 10 years ago. So there has been, if I had the manpower or the woman power, I would get a hold of all the big truck stop chains to get a list of how many locations they have um, included since then. The ELD has made the situation worse, though. And one of the reasons, and so when I was in a, when I switched over from Paper logs to an ELD myself as an owner operator, I found almost right away that I found myself speeding. I found myself stressed out. And um, I had choices because I'm an owner operator. A company driver does not have choices. So when you are working for a company that's pushing you to drive every single minute on the clock, You're in incredible stress. You find yourself in places where there's just not going to be any parking. You're just not going to find a place to park in an urban area past seven. Between seven and 10, they they really um, fill up um, tremendously. But when you're an owner operator, you have choices. You also know the lay of the land better. So you can plan like, you know what? I am going to stop this uh, much outside of the town where I know there's a mom-and-pop place, it's a bigger place. I know some hiding spots because I'm an owner-operator. I've been doing this a while. I I find that the company drivers have the most problem because they have a dispatcher barking orders to them over the Qualcomm or PeopleNet or whatever. But also, they they tend to only go to big chains where they get a fuel um, discount where they get their shower for free. It's like a one-stop shop situation and they aren't um they don't have enough knowledge to go two exits down and find some old mom and pop um truck stop that's got a really big lot that's paved and maybe a little taco shop. So I found with experience and um options when you book your own loads, I had to change the way I was thinking and the way I was booking my freight when the ELD mandate came in because I saw right away what I was doing to myself and I didn't have my I was my boss. So that's a that's one big thing um that I think that the ELD mandate has done. But it it definitely does make you cut your day short. When I'm talking about this, I'm also saying I may drive an hour or so less to get myself parked in a place that's better. So I'm, I'm cutting down on my productivity. And when you're a person that is paid by the mile, that adds up at the end of the week.
0: Yeah. And of course we, you know, we, in Sonar, freeway Sonar, we we keep ELD data, uh, not just ELD data, excuse me, hours of service data, the average number of hours, that a truck is in service, and you know you've got the eleven fourteen rule. The average number of hours that a truck is in service is far far below that, and it's not mm-hmm. really showing any signs of, of improving. Uh, right. I, I wanted to talk to you about you're talking about the the, the company drivers and the, the problems they face versus you. Uh, atri the uh, the research institute, the research arm of, a, of uh, ATA, came out with its annual survey of the biggest issues in the industry. Uh, came out in uh, early November. They revealed it at the annual meeting in Las Vegas that I attended, and parking. And they, well, they they split it out between driver responses, company responses, you know, people in management, and then kind of a net, a total figure. Mm-hmm. And dr- parking, I think, was second on the driver list of issues, and it wasn't even in the top ten for the company issues. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's a, that's a real dichotomy. That's a real divergence mm-hmm. of views. Now th- there is probably. Not a lot that an individual trucking company can do to create parking uh, but uh, you know you you are you surprised that this is this divergence of views on how big an issue this is I, I I'm, what I'm surprised at is that that the management numbers still came out with it not in the top 10 I mean I went to this atri uh, press co- conference at their conference in uh, I forget what city this was several years ago and it wasn't in the top 10 now now with all the focus on parking it still isn't in the top 10 that that's what really surprised
1: me. Yeah, that it's not surprising to me when we when we did this initial Jason's law movement, the petition signatures, the calling of elected officials to get them to co-sponsor this bill, we tried to go to our companies and have them put it out in their newsletter and it just fell on deaf ears the the trucking industry executives could care less what we experience out on the road they want to put their little memes out for truck driver appreciation week you know and give you a, a a hat with their logo on it but they don't really care what happens and you really are fending for yourself out there um and that's that's a shame uh i have never seen a trucking executive at any national coalition truck parking uh thing they just you know at, are absent uh the big truck stop chains um i am now on the florida freight advisory committee uh there's a guy from loves on that which is really nice because loves is actually built more new locations than this started than any other chain yeah they but,
0: they, put, they put out an announcement every year and I, i've gone back and looked at them and like for the last three four years running they say we are going to add three thousand parking spots this year and then they do
1: yeah uh, and you know but unfortunately the rise of paid parking the other the other thing is a lot of company drivers are not reimbursed for truck parking so the rise of this paid for truck parking is um the difference between getting a meal or not and i remember going having to go up to you know oregon and seattle where there's absolutely no parking and having to pay $25 a night to stay in a horrible horrible truck stop filthy. And you had to do it. Even now, still today up in that area in North Bend, you've got to book a spot a week in advance.
0: And you, you can't be sure you're going to be there a week in advance.
1: Right. Exactly. Anything could happen between now and then, and the spots are poorly designed um, so, you know, if you get that one, that's, you know, there, there's the rock impediment that you've got to make your turnaround and take your bumper off. So I'm not surprised, but still very disappointed with the trucking executives who have not helped. And I disagree. They can help. They can help because they can go to these meetings where their drivers are over the road drivers and learn about this and just attend a community meeting. and. And advocate for this like I do, like I take my time off work to do. And also, a lot of these companies have terminals in different states and drop yards, so they could be doing a partnership. I'll give you an example. I work for a very large company in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I will not mention their name, but they've got terminals in several different states. In one of the states uh, sometimes they let outside drivers park there. I'm not sure what the situation is that some outside drivers get to park there or not, but a lot of these um, a lot of these companies have large drop yards and terminals all around the country. They even, one company I worked for had a community drop yard that was in Southern California where it's very difficult to park and they had a guard there. It's a dirt lot, um, but you get, you go there and you sign in and you check in your load, your, your, your trailer's being watched. You could bobtail around town, which just makes it a lot easier to park if you, you're just in your bobtail, but your trailer is safe, you know, secure. Right. So these companies actually could be huge players in helping this if they'd come to the table. But overall, this industry has failed 100% to get together on this issue. And the ones that are suffering are the drivers who are the targets of crime.
0: Are you finding that shippers that some shippers might be changing their views, that they want to be viewed as a shipper of choice? They want to be more, uh, more desirable. They want truckers to be willing to come to their facilities. So they say, OK, you know, we've got this little area over in the corner of our facility and we can handle X number of trucks per night. Uh, and they're opening the their doors to that.
1: It, it, it really depends. Um, like I went to this new cold storage facility in Idaho, state of the art, beautiful place. Um, And like most cold storages, they were slow as heck, but they had this area set aside when they ran you out of hours and said, feel free, stay there. Here's our bathroom. Here's our vending machine. And I was like, "Okay." they got the memo on this. But you still have a lot that are very resistant and they want to cling on to this narrative that, you know, it's a liability issue and the trash issue and I, I I just think that that is a, it's a weak excuse. Um, you don't get, you don't have a different insurance policy uh, as soon as my trailer's empty. Um, if you've had me there all day long um, and you, my, your insurance was fine to have me there all day long, it didn't suddenly change as soon as I got my bills. The trash, get a dumpster. And get a camera, and if somebody's and and I understand that some of the trash that truck drivers are putting out is disgusting, but let's talk about them not being able to use the bathroom. They're human right. beings, and they're going to go to the bathroom somewhere. So if you're not letting them in the building, they're probably yeah. doing it someplace else and leaving it behind. Right. Um, the the um, supply chain events that I go talk at, I have been asked to one right after the other since the first one, because this is news to them. A lot of them had no idea and now are rethinking. And one of the things I say is your Six Sigma belt that you know your CEO is bragging about does not wrap around the whole building. <laughs> Go walk back to the warehouse area, see what's going on in the shipping and receiving office, see what's going on with the drivers and all the post-it notes all over the shipping office telling you to do this, do that. It's uh, it, it's like you're bombarded with disrespect the moment that you walk into the building and not allowing you to stay on site when you've been run out of hours is like the cherry on top of it again with owner operators you have choices and i make sure i tell the supply chain community you might not be getting good service because people that give good service aren't getting good service from you and truck drivers are customers too so if they have a choice they're not going to pull your freight anymore that means you're going to get stuck with carriers that don't give good service they might have a lot of capacity but you're missing you're you're missing the messaging here
0: yeah, that, that's kind of the point that they, they make themselves more desirable. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, uh, Rebecca. Boy, I've prepared a lot of questions, and you know, you 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 answer the ones uh, so thoroughly. Um, you did send me a uh, note that you had written from the real women in trucking in support of Mira Joshi uh, for uh, to be administrator of FMCSA. Uh, can you share your views? Why you really you, know, you were really up at front about making sure that that uh, she got that okay, and she's got your backing.
1: Well, she has gone out of her way to uh, reach out to different sectors of this industry. That is unlike any other administrator. It's mostly all about the executives. She has gone above and beyond um to meet with anyone. And, and this agency has had no leadership since 2019. So the stall, you know, you, you you can't be on one hand saying we've got to fix the supply chain and then have a rudderless ship for the regulatory agency over um, trucking. Uh, she has um, met with our group um, in in March. We were invited to the supply chain Uh, roundtable with Secretary Pete in which she was the the moderator, facilitator. Um, But she has just, she's willing to let everyone have a seat at the table. And we have, and and hear from everyone and learn from everyone. And we have not seen this in the past. So I'm not sure what the holdup is, but it's hurting our industry. We're supposed to have new training uh, standards go into effect in February for trainers, the states aren't even, there. They're, it's going to be like the ELD launch, you know, you got to register, you got to register, but the states aren't even ready because the federal agency is is just, you know, it doesn't have solid direction without a solid leader. So we need to take action. We all need to advocate to have her confirmed.
0: Do you, do you have any doubts that she's going to be confirmed?
1: I don't think that there's a doubt. I think that they just drag their feet. And if it if it goes on past this year, she's going to have to start the whole process again. Then we're two years into an administration. And then we, you know, it's just like, why are you wasting so much time? We haven't had anybody since 2019. So it it's it, it doesn't make any sense at all. With this big, huge infrastructure package, like, let's just get it done.
0: All right. Rebecca, we've run out of time here, but uh, we'll probably have to have you back for round two one of these days because you certainly have a lot to share with us. And I do appreciate that you shared it with the listeners to Drilling Deep today.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. If anybody wants more information on how they can get um, active on a local level, I hope that they will contact me. And there's a virtual meeting from Federal Highway Thursday, December 16th at one o'clock Eastern and everyone is welcome. So you do have to register for the event and that's on my LinkedIn page, the poster for that.
0: Yeah, and then Desiree sent that to me too and I intend to listen in, so thank you. So anyway, uh, you've been listening to Drilling Deep. We wanna thank Desiree Wood, our guest for the week. She is the president of the Real Women in Trucking Driver Organization. She's also an independent o- owner operator and very much a, an ambassador and an acolyte for better at parking situations for drivers out on the road. Uh, I've been your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts. From Freightways. you can find us on all the leading platforms for podcasts. And we hope that you'll join us again.